This morning, the title of the message is called Prepositional Perspective. You might think that a bit strange and think, don't you mean propositional perspective? A proposition is an idea that you're setting forth, but I, I do literally mean prepositional. You remember you were in about the fourth or the fifth grade and you learned all of the prepositions above and beneath and to and from and out of and into and all of those things. My teacher used the cloud. She said, any way that you can relate to the cloud, below the cloud, above the cloud, beside the cloud, in the cloud, out of the cloud, through the cloud, everything, all of those words that we could use to describe position and relationship to, from, out of, whatever, um, were prepositions. And prepositions were used to bring definition. They were used to define more clearly uh, in, in our grammar, when we're making a statement regarding a position of something or the origin of something. And so this morning, it's important that we pay attention to the Word of God. It is the living, the life-breathed Word of God, uh, the whole of Scripture, two covenants, old and new, 66 books of the Bible written uh, by 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years, all very amazingly weaved together in a tapestry with one central idea, a meta-narrative, and that is that God is sending the promised one, the Yeshua HaMashiach, his name is Jesus, who would come and set us free from our sins and d deliver the creation from the bondage, which was made subject to futility, uh, not willingly but by reason of hope, the Bible says. That means that even the creation is crying out to be set free from bondage. That means that the earth is groaning. Every time you see an earthquake or a tornado or a volcanic eruption or issues in nature, it is crying out so that it will be delivered into what Romans 8 says, the glorious liberty of the sons of God. That's coming. That is in our future. We will see Jesus, I believe with all of my heart, we will see Jesus face to face. I'll see him either in my lifetime or when I, my lifetime here on earth ends. I'll see him face to face at that point. Hallelujah. And I'm looking forward to that. Prepositional perspective. John chapter 14, one verse, verse 26. But when the Father, everybody say the Father. When the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. Get it one more time. Read it with me out loud. Come on. When the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. One thing I want you to grab this morning very quickly, just a simple sentence. If you don't remember anything else, get this. Say it with me. God is an architect who is building with a purpose. Tell your neighbors, say, God is an architect who is building with a purpose. Once more, say it like you mean it. Come on, give it to me. God is an architect who is building with a purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so blessed to be able to gather in this room this morning and to lift up our collective voices and to sing words like we just sang, great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs, Lord, and we're giving you back. We're giving you the sacrifice of praise. We're singing it back to you, O oh God. You who give life and you've caused the dead bones, Lord, in our lives to live. Visions that we thought for were sure had been buried and passed. Lord, thank you that you're breathing life into and resurrecting. Someone is in this room this morning, not here by chance, but, but Lord, you have a divine appointment with them. And 
They're, they're not going to leave here the same. Something as dramatic is going to happen, transformative in their lives. I believe that. I just ask you to help me today. I need you. I'm desperate for you. I know that apart from you, I am nothing and can do nothing. But Lord, I'm also so grateful to say that I know I'm no longer apart from you. But now uh, you are my Savior and you will never, 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 never leave me nor forsake me. And I just acknowledge before you and this people that I need you. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, to get in my words and my thoughts. Holy Spirit, be the ears and the eyes and the understanding in the hearts of these people. Lord, let a custom-designed, tailor-made word, like a coal off of your altar, be dropped into the heart of every individual in this room and those that are hearing this in the future on the Internet. Lord, you can do that. I can't. I'm just a human. I'm just a man. But God, I thank you that you take my ordinary and you put your extra with it and you make it extraordinary. And you touch hearts and you change lives and you transform us. And all of that because of the powerful, matchless name of Jesus Christ. And it's in that name we pray and all of God's people said. Amen. God is an architect who is building with a purpose. Three points quickly this morning. First one, in my father's house. This is a very standard passage that you will hear at funerals. Um, I think obviously the reason why is, is in the first line. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Me is Jesus. He's the one speaking. He says, there's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Now, you will probably feel like it's more the word of God when you hear it in King James because it just sounds more spiritual. It definitely sounds more churchy. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. And this passage of Scripture, the one that we just read, says that there is more than enough room in my Father's home. Now, what I want you to see this morning in this series, Same Spirit, is that I'm driving home one more time another layer from a different location, a slightly different perspective, trying to drive into your awareness this same spirit concept, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Everybody say the same spirit. Now, that's something we acknowledge and we sort of mentally assent to and we nod our head to it, but we live a life apart from that idea. Because if we really believed it, every one of us in this room would be living differently. We would be treating the people we love differently. We would be more patient with those that frustrate us. We would look with a greater degree of faith to things that challenge us. We would look at a mountain and say, it's not, it, there's nothing to it because I trust a God who said, if you would just believe me, nothing will be impossible. All things are possible to him that believes is what Jesus said. There, before I get into a little bit of a Greek concept here, I want you to get one, one idea. Go ahead and put that up for me on the screen. Read this out loud with me, please. The subject of John 14 is not heaven, 
but the Father. I want you to say it with me again. Come on. The subject of John 14 is not heaven, but the Father. A lot of our ideas about heaven have really come a whole lot more from Southern Gospel music than they have from the Bible. 1920s, a, a young spirit-filled person who loved the Lord but had been in abject poverty and raised in a poverty mentality that basically said that we can't enjoy anything of material good or wealth on this side. And he was taught that poverty is spiritual and poverty is the blessing of God. And therefore that on this side all we can ever have is just nothing but we will reap great rewards of, of fantastic, indescribable wealth on the other side. And so they, they saw this scripture in the Old Testament, I mean in the Old English in John 14, 2, where it says, In my Father's house are many mansions. And they immediately concocted this idea that when we die and go to heaven, everybody's going to get a 40-room house. And mine's going to be on the corner of Glory Land and Hallelujah Boulevard. Somebody else came along and said, no, just build my cabin in the corner of glory over there. And somebody else wrote, said, just build my mansion next door to Jesus and tell the angels I'm a-coming home. Now, I don't want to offend anybody. I'm truly not trying to do that. But this idea about everybody having a 40-room mansion I mean, let's, what, 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 what's the purpose going to be? If, if Donnie has one, he's got his own 40-room mansion, and Benitria has her own 40-room mansion. Let's just go to the family right behind Donnie there. Let's say Mike's got a 40-room mansion, and Anna's got a 40-room mansion, and Jennifer's got a 40-room mansion, and, um, and Abby's got a 40-room mansion. What are all those 40-room mansions for? They're not bedrooms because we're not going to sleep because there's no night because we have a mort an immortal body now. Who's going to clean all those rooms? <laughs> Who's going to cook? I'm not. And if Dawn's got her 40-room mansion and I'm not in the same house with her, I'm, I'm just going to go hungry, I guess. <laughs> now, y'all don't get offended at me. I believe heaven is real. I believe, as a matter of fact, I believe it's so real. 1 Corinthians 2 says it this way. I has not seen neither ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the indescribable things that God has prepared for us that love Him. If you believe that, come on, put your hands together. I just think we really mess up sometimes because literally in the Old English, when the, the King James was translated, the word mansion doesn't mean a 40-room palatial estate. It just means a house. The word mansion in the 21st century has a completely different idea than it did in 1611 when King James had his translators translate the Bible in John 14 too. says, in my father's house are many mansions. As a matter of fact, the pastor, the, the rector, the, the father of the Anglican church in all those communities lived in a manse, M-A-N-S-E. And certainly none of these guys were outrageously wealthy. It was just a nice home. It was not a mansion the way we think about it in terms of, you know, $10 million on a 15,000 square foot house. Are, are you are all okay with this? Now, let me just get back to this because I realize some of you are going, oh, I don't know what I think about this because that's what I've always thought heaven was going to be like. First of all, nobody knows what heaven's like because we hadn't been there yet. It's going to be better than you can imagine. So just, just get ready. Is, is your heart right with God so that if you were to pass right now, you would be in His presence? 
Come on, somebody. All right? So that's what my concern is that. But this is what I want you to see. John 14, the subject of John 14 is not the heaven. Not heaven. The subject is of John 14 is the Father. Everybody say the Father. All right, I want you to listen to this. Um, I'm not going to read all 31 verses because it would probably take me six or seven minutes, and I don't have that luxury in what I want to deliver this morning. So just let me get six or eight real quick. I just read to you one and two. Let me jump down, verse 3. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. And no, we don't know, Lord Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the, everybody say, Father, except through me. If you had known me, you would have known who my From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the... So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the... And the... Is in me. The words I speak are not my own, but my... Who lives in me. He does the work through me. Just believe that I am in the... And the... Is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I will tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, even greater works, because I'm going to the... Now, you read this whole chapter of 31 verses, and Father appears over 20 times. Do you agree with me that Jesus is talking about the Father in John 14? Y'all okay with that? Okay? I'm not doing away with heaven. I believe heaven is real. I believe hell is hot. We believe in both of those things here at Victory. All right? How you are with your heart with God is going to determine your eternal destination, smoking section or not, okay? I don't know why I said that. It wasn't something I <laughs> The subject of John 14 is not heaven, it's the Father. Put up the Greek word for me, if you would, please. Mane. Everybody say mane. Now, this is not somebody who's trying to get a couple of Benjamins together, get him some mane. But the Greek word mane means to abide, to dwell, to remain. Okay? It is a resting place. Go ahead and put the scripture back up, and I want you to see where it is. John 14, 1 and 2. There is more, read it with me, there is more than enough room in my father's mane. There it is. The dwelling place. The resting place, the abiding place, all right? So I want you to get this. God is building a house because he's an architect who is building with a purpose. He has a design. And most of the time, we've thought that the house was for us, but I want to tell you, the house is not for us. God is building a house, and it's for himself. I read a book in, the, in elementary school called The House That Jack Built. Do you all remember The House That Jack Built? The, the line that kept appearing over and over in the home. This was the house that Jack built. This was the house that Jack built. Well, if you're looking at John 14, Jesus is saying this is the house that God built. This is the house that God built. And the real truth of the story is the house is not for you. The house is you. You are the house of God. You are the house that God is building. God is building a house. God is building a house. God is building a house that will stand. Here, here we go. God is building a house. God is building a house. God is building a house that will stand. 
He is building by his plan with the lively stones of man. God is building a house that will stand here. Me. God is building a house. God is building a house. God is building a house that will stand. He is building by his plan with the lively stones of man. God is, my goodness, we got some real clapping going on in this room. Come on, yeah. He is building by his plan with the lively stones of man. The second verse, we, you know, that's one of those Pentecostal courses that has 2,000 verses to it, you know, and you sing for 89 minutes. We are part of that house. We are part of that house. We are part of the house that will stand. And you keep you getting this idea in your mind, okay? Now, in my Father's house are many rooms, many monags, dwelling places, resting places. So I want to get that concept in you. Then I want to move quickly to point number two. We want to rightly relate to the Holy Spirit now, okay? This is where the prepositional perspective comes into play. Too often, people are relating to a historical Jesus who lived three and a half years, did untold miracles, lives transformed and changed in unspeakable ways, hung on a cross between heaven and earth, lied on, betrayed in every kind of way. The, 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 the work of man is what drove Jesus to the cross and drove the nails into the wood. The sin of my heart and yours. And he hangs between heaven and earth and he says... It is finished, tetelestai. The debt is paid in full. He's buried in the ground. Three days later, he gets up, and now we have an empty tomb. And folk don't know how to relate to Jesus now because he's not on a cross. He's not walking down a dusty road speaking to poor people all the time, okay? He's speaking to everybody. And we want to learn to rightly relate to him, and the way we learn to rightly relate to him is that we learn to rightly relate to the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 17. And the Bible says, let me get a drink. Look at, look at it with me. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives what? Say it. With you now and what? Later will be, everybody say with you, in you. With you, in you. Okay, if we're with the cloud, the preposition, it's alongside of us. But if I'm in the cloud, it's surrounding me. If the cloud is in me, then it's taken up its residence, its mane, its abode. If the Holy Spirit now is not just with me, I just want to say this to you. The Holy Spirit is with every person in this room. He may be knocking on your door to finally... Turn your heart to Jesus. He may be creating circumstances to make you recognize your desperate need for Jesus Christ in your life. But if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is no longer with you. He is what? In you. Everybody say in you. So you have to learn to rightly relate to this Holy Spirit that we're talking about. There are two perspectives that we get here in this prepositional usage. Go ahead and put that up for me. When we say with you... It is the idea of something that is temporary, that visits. Jesus said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would come to you, even as a hen broods over her chicks. And he says, I've come to you and you would not. And he says, you have missed your day of visitation. When we study 
Biblical Christian history, when we study revival history, every generation has had an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it's a visitation of the manifest presence of God on a community. It was Charles G. Finney and the Second Great Awakening that preached in Rochester, New York. And the city had a population during the 1800s of about 175,000 people. This is on record. This is historically verifiable. By the time the revival ended while he was there, 100,000 people out of the 175,000 people in Rochester, New York had been transformed by a newborn experience in, in Jesus Christ. The jails emptied. The bars shut down. Folk quit fighting each other. Peace started settling in over the city. How many of you know, I want some of that. West Memphis and Marion needs some of that. Look, my wife called me the perpetual student because I've got, numer- I've got several degrees and a couple of them in history. One is, the, is a bachelor's degree from Arkansas State University. The second one is a master's degree in global history. And one of the things that I had to read, it was just numerous volumes of books for those three years when I was finishing that master's degree. And one of the books that I read in American history was the diary of Benjamin Franklin. He's on the $100 bill. One of the founders of our nation. And he talked about the influence of the first great awakening. Jonathan Edwards, who was a congregationalist minister from Connecticut in the 1730s, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42. John Wesley, the founder of the early Methodist movement. His brother Charles. John would preach. Charles would write, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise. John would preach the inspired word of God and Charles would write the songs and multitudes of people were swept into the kingdom of God in the first great awakening in the 1740s. A British evangelist, six foot five, 350 pounds, George Whitfield would stand on a platform a little bit taller than this, a little bit a small portable thing that he would get into and he would preach and declare the word and it could be heard for miles. Benjamin Franklin tells the story about the first great awakening being poured out in the Holy Spirit changing Philadelphia. And he said he couldn't walk down the streets of Philadelphia that every night he wouldn't hear psalm singing coming from the living rooms of every house in Philadelphia because people's lives had been changed and crime went, it was almost nil. It was nothing because the Spirit of God visited the city. The Holy Spirit was with them. And those who were transformed, the Holy Spirit now was in them. As a matter of fact, there's an interesting thing that that Benjamin Franklin talks about. He literally stepped out because he was very scientific and he measured the number of paces as he walked away from the front of the crowd where George Whitfield was preaching and he walked away all the way out there and he, he sees how many people are basically in a square yard and he measures and he says there are 30,000 people standing out here listening to this man and he goes 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 for scores of yards all the way out to the end of it And he's amazed that in a day, he didn't have any way to describe this, but there were no microphones, there were no amplification systems, but he could be heard just as clearly 300 300 yards, a mile out, you know, 1,000, 500, 750,000 yards out. Whitfield is preaching. Now, it helped that he was was an opera singer. He had this great big cavernous body. He's a basso buffundo. And he can speak and it goes all the way out and people's lives are being transformed not because of the power of his voice but the power of the gospel that he was speaking. I love that. Franklin, who never confessed Christ as Savior, at best was a deist, 
talked about how moved he was by Whitfield that day. This is in Franklin's own di biography, in his own diary, Diary of Benjamin Franklin. He says, I was so moved when the offering came that I emptied my whole purse. And he said, not just a few coppers, but crowns. He gave everything that he had because he was so moved by the preaching of George Whitfield. Now, this is one of our American founders. A lot of times you don't get taught this in American history. But it was a visitation. Every generation has had a visitation of the Holy Spirit. I'm longing to see it happen in my generation. I, I feel like I've been running an Airbnb at my house lately because I had Drew and Holly for, for Easter, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then they left and I, I, I washed the sheets and put fresh sheets on the, 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 the front bedroom, uh, guest room, and then here comes JT and Kate flying back from California. And you were here last Sunday and they sat on the front row right over there in that section Friends from 35 plus years back, and just a, a real mentor in my life. He's about seven years older than I am, and he was the best man in our wedding with me and Dawn. And um, so got everything ready, and they stayed from Saturday until Tuesday. I took them to the airport Tuesday. Tuesday night at 9 o'clock, I drove back and picked up Abby. <laughs> Had Abby Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then I drove back to the airport and picked up her manager, Ross Michaels. I moved Abby out of that bedroom, put her in another spot, washed the sheets again, put them back on the bed fresh, got the room fresh. All of those people were visiting me. They didn't stay. They weren't permanent. They were with me for a little while. But when you talk about the Holy Spirit being with you, it's an old covenant understanding of the presence of God because it's not permanent, it's temporary. But that's not you. Look at what you have. When we talk about the Holy Spirit that is in you, it's not visitation, it's habitation. Everybody say habitation. This is the new covenant view of God's presence. God has made his money, his home, his mansion. He's building a house. God is an architect building on purpose. And the house is not for you. You're the house and it's for him. Come on, somebody. Now look at this. John 14, 23, put this up. Jesus replied, read it out loud with me, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we, everybody say we, we will come and what? Money. Now, the King James says, in my Father's house are many mansions. It's the word money, abiding place, dwelling place. This word for mansion only appears in John 14 twice in verse 2. And in verse 23, verse 23 in the King James says, we will come and make our abode with the believer. Now, I don't know how to get through to everybody in this room the power of what you just read. Because Jesus said this Holy Spirit that is coming, he's with you now, but later he will be, everybody say, in me. Okay, and, and notice he doesn't just say the Holy Spirit, but think about this. He says, we, everybody say we. Now, Jesus is, who's talking? Everybody say, Jesus replied. Say, Jesus. Jesus is speaking, and he's talking about who? What's the subject of John 14? The Father. So when he says we, who's he talking about? Jesus and the Father. So people hear this. You've got the whole Trinity living on the inside of you. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have taken up their money. 
They've made their abode on the inside of you. You are the dwelling place of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16, 6.16, 2 Corinthians 6.19 all say this. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That's just another way of saying the house of God. Recognize that what you do, you're doing it with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit walking around with you. When I come to victory, I don't have to say, oh, I hope the Holy Spirit shows up. You want to know why? I don't have to wonder if the Holy Spirit shows up because when I walk in the door and in the building, the Holy Ghost just came in with me. There's nothing special about me. If you're a believer, the Holy Ghost came in the house when you walked in. As wonderful as this new facility is that we have, this is not where God lives. God lives not in temples made with hands. He lives in human beings' hearts. People that have been blood-bought, that have been born again, that have been sanctified and delivered and set free by the power of the blood of the Lamb. Come on. Man, I need to walk on over to Angel's Way and preach over there. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying this morning? Point number three, are you getting anything out of this? Come on. Rivers of living water. John 7, 37 through 39. I've just preached myself out of breath. Give me a second. Whew. On the last day, the climax of the festival... Three big holidays in the Jewish calendar, Passover in March or April. What do you mean March or April, Pastor? Why does it move? Because the Jews, the Hebrew calendar is lunar. Every month is 28 days. And so it's going to move around. Passover, that's why Easter moves. Because Easter, you can't have a resurrected lamb if you don't have a slain lamb. That's how much Christianity and Judaism is tied together. Because the lamb that they were killing in the natural now is the Son of God who became the Lamb and took away the sins of the world. Passover is celebrated on Friday. Jesus was crucified on Good Friday and he gets up out of the grave on Easter Sunday. Are you following me? Come on, somebody. So wherever Easter is, 50 days later is going to be Pentecost. Pentecost is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit the day the church was born. The third great feast is September, October, it is the Feast of Tabernacles, an amazing celebration, the highest, holiest day of the year called the Feast Day of Atonement when the high priest goes into the temple behind the veil to sprinkle the blood on the, on the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Come on, everybody in here, you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark and those idiots moved the cover and looked in and they, God melted their faces off of them. I, I love that. That's so true because no man can look on the holiness of God and see him apart from being covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You can't do priestly duties and live. God will send out holy fire and it'll, it'll swallow you up. Rivers of living water. The Bible says on the last day, the climax of the festival, King James says the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, read it with me, here we go. Rivers of living water will flow from your heart, from his heart. Verse 39, when he said living water, he was speaking of the, is that a capital S or a little s? That's the way you tell in your Bible, 
they are able to, the, the translators can look to the Greek or the Hebrew and they can see that they're not talking about the little s spirit of man, your spirit, but they're talking about the capital S Holy Spirit. So he says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. So rivers of living water flow from your heart. Now, I don't think that this is literal. I don't think that he's talking about in the kingdom of God we're going to have a gusher out of our side. I believe it's a metaphor. And I believe so many times folk feel like they have to woodenly interpret Scripture in a literal way and they get in trouble. Jesus is talking about beware of the yeast of the Pharisees one day. And the disciples look at each other and said, do we have enough bread? Do we need to go buy bread? And he says, boys, you've missed it. The, the, the yeast of, of the Pharisees is their teaching. And it's like it'll rise in you and it, it'll, it'll create confusion. You know, so often we want to interpret things exactly, naturally, literally. Jesus confused everybody when he said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull down the temple and in the three days I'll raise it up again. Everybody thought he was talking about tearing down Herod's temple that took 46 years to rebuild. He's talking about the temple of his body. And so often I can give you scores of places in the Gospels where the, where the disciples misunderstood Jesus because they tried to every time interpret it literally or naturally. Okay? And so I want you to see that this is a metaphor. I believe that we ought to be students of grammar. That means literally means we ought to interpret it as literature. Everybody say literal. Literature. Now, literal interpretation of Scripture doesn't mean that we think everything every time is always a natural occurrence. It can be symbolic. It can be a metaphor. And that means that we need to interpret the symbols as a symbol. We need to interpret the metaphor as a metaphor. We need to interpret whatever kind of grammar that's being used. We need to let it say what it says and then trust God at His Word. So when he says, when the Spirit is given, out of your bellies shall flow rivers of living water, he's trying to say to us this. Go ahead and put the Greek word up for me here. Everybody say flow. So reo is the Greek word. We get our English word rhetoric. Rhetoric is speech. Uh, the flow that's going to come out of you is going to be words. Because you are a carrier of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are no longer with you, but they're in you, inside you. And because of that, you have the ability to bless. You are authorized to bless people with rayo that is life-giving. You can choose to be an encourager instead of a whiner. You can choose to bless instead of gossip. You can choose to invest and edify instead of cursing and tearing down. Come on, somebody. Out of your bellies will flow. Out of, ek, from, it means it denotes the origin or the point at which the action proceeds. So literally, now this doesn't mean a gusher in your belly, but the, just like your heart, what did Jesus say? Out of the abundance of the heart, the what speaks? The mouth. That doesn't literally mean that our, our tongue is tied down to the blood pump in our natural body. The heart that Jesus is talking about is the center of man. The very core of you as a person, out of that heart, what you're meditating on, what you're thinking on, what is driving you is eventually going to come out of your mouth. Somebody said, you know, I just really am not sure about this person. I just can't, can't get a re good read on them. I don't know where their mind is. Well, shut up long enough and let them talk and they will reveal the contents of their heart. You following me? Come on. Out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. Now, as a believer... Filled with the Holy Spirit, you are called to reo, flow, let a flow, let a flow come. We have two 
undeniable metaphors here. It's a river. It's not a pond. It's not dead. Things in ponds can die because there's no egress or ingress. There's no input and output, outflow. The Dead Sea, I've been there to Israel in 2008. After I finished my master's degree, I treated myself to, a, to an Israel tour with a great group, spirit-filled, born-again Jew, a completed Jew, so to speak, a Messianic Jew who believed Jesus is the Savior, filled with the Holy Spirit, opened the Word and taught the Bible like I've never heard it taught in my life and went all over the place and showed us when Jesus was preaching here, we stood on the, the mountain with Elijah when he de, uh, literally defied the, the prophets of Baal and said, choose you. Come on, are you going to serve God or not? You're going to teeter between two opinions? All of those amazing Bible stories came alive for me over there because I visited Israel and saw where Jesus walked and rode the boat across the Sea of Galilee and saw where Jesus was up on the pinnacle of the hill praying when the disciples were down there rowing in the middle of the storm and he comes walking on the water. Hallelujah. He's saying, out of your bellies, out of the very core of your person, there's going to be a life-giving word. You're going to speak rhetoric. You're going to speak some words that are going to be life-giving to people. Some of you are, are struggling right now because you're just going, I'm in a dead-end job, and I'm the only Christian in the spot that I work at. And don't come to me and say, Pastor, pray for me a new job because I'm the only believer. Why do you think you're there? Because you're the only light they've got in that place. If you can start living out of the words we've sung this morning and that I'm trying to preach into you, the same power that conquered the grave is on the inside of you. It, it, you know, if you could learn to trust God and believe God for great things and solutions, what if you decided to just stop whining? You, you know, we, we come to church on Sunday morning and we get in this celebration moment, but then we check into our secular lives Monday through Friday and we live like Christian atheists. We've got the whole Trinity living down on the inside of us, and rarely do we stop to say, just whisper a prayer, go into your cubicle, go into the restroom and close the door, get, get, get into the little cubicle in the restroom and just whisper, Holy Spirit, help me. What if you became part of the, part of the solution instead of the problem at your job? What if you went to the boss and said, I've got an idea. I, I, and you don't even have to be spiritual and be churchy about it. You don't have to say, I was praying and the Holy Spirit told me. First of all, please don't do that. Just go say, I've come up with an idea. Now, when, when he puts the idea into place and it turns everything around and you get a promotion and you get a raise that goes with it, then you can say, I prayed and the Holy Spirit helped me. Are you hearing me? What if believers would think like that? What if we, instead of complaining about the problems in our community, what if we stopped and we just said, God, uh, it's not just about the work of the Holy Spirit on Sunday morning, but right now in the middle of my life, I ask you to help me speak to this problem in my family. I'm not going to curse and hate my teenagers anymore. God, I ask you to build a rapport between us, do some healing between us. Let me be a loving father and a loving mother and a parent and reach out to them, oh God. Are you hearing me? Can you imagine what would happen if we would, just, if we would just live and lean into the Holy Spirit instead of living like a Christian atheist all week long? If you don't get anything else this morning, you've got a word that will change your life. Think about this. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, 
dwells on the inside of you. And now from that source, out of that location, at that point where action takes place, you can speak life-giving words. You can be an encourager. You can be somebody's cheerleader. You can exhort and stir somebody up. You have the ability. Don't look at me and tell me you can't do that. Because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Where's Sydney? Come to the piano. I'm finishing this message. Come on, Sid. The same power. Look at your neighbor and tell him, say, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is on the inside of you. Guys, are you hearing me? This is revolutionary. It's all tied up in a, pre a preposition. God doesn't just visit you once in a while. He's made his money. You are the house of God. Are you hearing me this morning? You are the house of God. Where you go, God goes. Now, if you're struggling with some kind of sin, think about Jesus sitting there on the seat next to you. That'll, 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 that'll fool with your thinking. You having a problem keeping it pure between you and, and your interest, your love interest? Jesus getting up in the middle of it there, all right? You know, think about that. I'm helping somebody this morning. He's made your body his house, his habitation. Don't use your tongue to curse things. Use it to bless things. Use it to bless people. I, I've had, it never happened in my life, but I've had this outrageous occurrence that a thing that's happening in my life all the time, every time I look at the clock, all the numbers are the same. It's 12-12, it's 11-11, it's 10-10, it's 3-33, it's 4-44, or it's 12-34, 1-2-3-4. And if it didn't happen so crazy much in my life, I wouldn't be telling you this. I, I don't know what it means. I've Googled it. There are folks that say that, you know, when you see the clock like that, a loved one from the other side is visiting you. I, I, don't, I don't believe that. I don't know about it. I don't know what I think about that. But this is what I've started doing. Every time I look at the clock and I see, and I just kind of go, there it is again, 3-33. Proverbs 11.11 says this. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. Say Proverbs 11.11. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. So quit bad-mouthing Marion and West Memphis. Every time you have a conversation, don't call this the armpit of Arkansas. Come on, out of your bellies is supposed to flow faith-filled words. Quit cursing the habitation where you live. Every time, every time, I just ask you, without getting freaky on me or superstitious, every time you see the clock and the numbers line up, I want, I want to challenge you to put this in your heart that you stop and say, God bless Mary and pour out your Holy Spirit on this city. Y'all hearing me? God bless West Memphis. Reach in and transform the young lives that are involved in gang violence. What, what would happen if we would just start living with the awareness that the Holy Ghost of God, that whole Trinity is living on the inside of us? Y'all are not hearing me this morning. You know, maybe it'll take 89 times, but in the last service I had somebody come up to me and I said, you, they said to me, you know, I'm going, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden he said, the light came on. He said, I hear you, I've got it. 
I've got it. I'm going to go into my week with a different perspective this week. I'm going, to, I, I'm going to lean into the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to live like a Christian atheist. I'm just going to take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, show me, help me. Make yourself strong in my behalf, in my life, oh God. Come on, somebody. Come on, praise team, help me out. 